We are very familiar with the idea of giving an account. This manager, this steward over his, father, or his master's house was called to give an account. What have you been doing with what was entrusted to you? What have you been doing with your responsibilities, your obligations? We're very familiar with that kind of accounting. After all, if you don't send your kids to school, the truancy officer will show up at your door, which is why it's remarkable. I was looking up the statistic this week. It's remarkable. 95% attendance rate at the public schools in this area. 95%. That is every day parents get their kids up and to school because they know there's a reckoning. If they don't, something bad will happen. They have to give an account. Same thing goes for work. You can maybe show up to work late every so often. You can call in sick every once in a while, but you know that if you do it persistently over and over and over again, there's going to be a reckoning. You're going to have to give an account, and likely you're going to be given a pink slip if you don't do it. And so, what do you do? Even when you don't feel like it, even when your heart's not in it, even when you would rather lie in bed, even when you've made poor choices the night before, you get up and go to work. If you want to play on the football team, you show up to practice, you know that you'll have to give an account to the coach. If you don't show up to practice, if you don't know the plays, if you don't know your teammates, if you aren't a part of the team. You know you'll have to give an account to the doctor if you don't show up for your appointments. They'll charge you for your visit anyways, and you'll miss out on all the help they give you. Same thing goes for the salon. The account might have to be just what you say to yourself in the mirror, as your hair does not look like you want it to. There's a reckoning. Reckoning if you don't keep your obligations. If you don't show up into the deer stand during deer season, there's a reckoning, even in your own heart. I missed out on this opportunity. If you don't show up to the campground when you are planning to go on vacation, there's a reckoning, not to anybody else, but just within your own heart. We know that we have to give an account. We have to give an account. And so we do. We spend our whole lives paying attention to those who are keeping track, even if it's just within our own hearts, paying attention and guarding against negligence, making sure that we're fulfilling our responsibilities, making sure that no one can hold anything against us, making sure that we are as blameless as we can be. It feels a bit different, however, when we talk about giving an account to God. I wonder why that is. I think it has something to do with the fact that God is, appears so distant. You can see the truancy officer face to face. You can see your boss face to face. You can hear the echoes in your own heart when you don't pursue what you love, but God, he seems distant. If I don't open his word, then I don't have to hear from him. So how is your accounting with God's word? How do things go for you reading the scriptures? How do things go for you with prayer? How do things go for you with avoiding temptation? If you were called to give an account right now, today, this moment, how would you fare? Could you stand up and say, I've been blameless I did what I should. I did what I said I would. How would that account look? How would it look for your forgiveness? Have you been forgiving and charitable? Have you prayed for those in need? Have you prayed for your enemies? Have you sought their good? Have you blessed those who curse you? Have you done good to those who hate you? How would you fare? if you were called to give an account right now. Now, the manager in our parable this morning does not fare well. The master looks at it and sees that he's been negligent, and that's it. That's the end of the story. 
Hand over the books. You're done. You can't be my steward anymore. You've proven to be unfaithful, and so I'm taking it all away from you, which tells us something very important about stewardship, about being a manager, about having responsibilities and obligations and giving an account. Your stuff belongs to someone else. That manager who was wasting his master's possessions was not wasting his own things. He was wasting his master's things. You have nothing that is your own. It all belongs to God. From the basic stuff like your money and your possessions and the roof over your head to the more fundamental things like your breath and the beating of your heart, the days that you've had and the days that will come, your time, your people, your family, your friends, they all belong to God. They're not yours. Your thoughts are not your own. You are to take your thoughts captive, every last one of them, to Christ Jesus because your heart belongs to Him. It all belongs to God. And that is why, at the end of the day, there's an accounting. This, man, this master was not wrong in asking his manager to give an accounting of his deeds because it wasn't his stuff. It was the master's stuff. So what account can you give for your things? For everything. This lesson is focused on that great word, mammon. It's perhaps becoming a less familiar word, but it has to do with all of the stuff of this life, not just money, but all of the things that you might accumulate or hold on to, or possess, or worst of all, put your trust in, all of those things, they belong to God. What is required of a steward, of a manager, is simply that he be faithful, that he do what his master has given him to do. You can't be a steward, you can't be in charge of things if you are going to be wasteful, and that is why the master takes everything away, takes everything away from this man. Now, it's kind of perplexing. I'm not sure why he was being so wasteful. Maybe he was distracted by other things. Maybe he found out he didn't really like his master. Maybe he thought he had a better job offer coming. Maybe he was just lazy. It's kind of hard to tell. Actually, I don't think he was lazy because in a moment, (laughs) he's going to be about as diligent as can be. I don't know what it is, but this is how it is for us with God so often. We come up short and we don't really pay attention to it. We are negligent, and we don't think there's going to be a day of reckoning. Most people, most people figure that they'll just put it off until later, like a bar tab that just keeps on accumulating until finally it's not so painful to pay it, or a credit card bill where you don't have to look at it until the end of the month, and even then you've got a grace period before you have to pay it, and even then you can just pay the minimum payment for a long time before that bill finally comes due. That's so often how people think about the reckoning that we'll have before God. I'll think about it later. I'll settle that up later. I'll be able to handle that later. And so, let me enjoy my life right now. Let me eat, drink, and be merry right now. After all, perhaps, perhaps hell's not even real. That's the way our world thinks. What good would hell do for God? Why would he send a gracious and loving God? Why would he send people to hell? At least it must not be that bad. It must not be that bad. And so, we can put off thinking about the reckoning, thinking about giving an account. That's not everybody, though. Many people try. They try to do well. They think they're doing well. But in the process of preparing for that reckoning, they either overestimate their own abilities 
or underestimate God's perfection. Think to themselves, I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. I've not done some truly dreadful things. Sure, I might have slipped up here and there, but at the end, I'll be able to explain it. I'll be able to stand up and give my explanations, and God will understand. We're trying to do well. We think we're doing well, but in the end, Paul's words are for us. Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. That is to say, the moment, the moment you think that you can give an account to God, you certainly cannot. The moment you think that you can stand in God's court and give a reckoning, that you will have a case before him, that is the moment, precisely the moment that you do not. You can be sure that the verdict is guilty. The accounting before God is far more serious. It's obvious. It's far more serious than any other accounting we have in this life. And yet, we are so easily tempted to take the other accountings of this life more seriously. To think that school or work or pleasure or family or friends, that the reckoning that they put us through is more important than God's. And so, our hearts are often not truly in it. I think that that's really how you can summarize this wasteful manager. Somehow, his heart just wasn't in it. He could have known better. He could have known that even if his heart wasn't in it, he should just do his job. But, but that was really the problem. His heart wasn't in it. Let us, let us all repent of the times that our hearts are not in it. When we confess with our mouths, when we say with our lips that God is Lord and that we love him with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind, and yet we're lying. Let us repent of the times that we say we desire to do good and yet we choose to do evil. Let us repent of those times that we think that we have done well when God says otherwise. Let us repent of those times that we think we don't have to answer to anyone, least of all God, that all of this stuff is our own. For us to do with as we please, let us repent. That is to say, let us turn away from that sinful, dreadful idea because we will have to give an account and none of it will be good for us in the end. That's not what God wants for us. He doesn't want that scene to happen to us. He doesn't want to call us into his chamber and say, give an account, You've been an unfaithful steward. Go your way. That's not what he wants. The last thing God wants to say to any one of us is, I have never known you, you wicked servants. What he wants to say to you is, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are his words of joy. That's what he wants to give to you. This parable is told to humble us. And Jesus puts a point on it. It's really stark. At the very uh, end of the first paragraph, he says, verse Eight, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Jesus isn't discriminating here between Christians. He says we all have the same problem. You all have the same problem. That somehow the world takes things more seriously, takes the things of the world more seriously than Christians take the things of God. And so, let us repent. Now, the goal of Jesus teaching us to repent is not to strong-arm us into good behavior. He could whip us into shape if he wanted to. He could get us to do good things. He could make you read the scriptures. He could make you pray. He could make you love your enemies. He could make you be kind and charitable. He could do all of that in, in the twinkle of an eye. But that's not what he wants. He doesn't want to force you or compel you to love. 
He wants you to do it from your heart. And so, he takes another approach. This is so important to know about Jesus. He is not like every other god in the world that operates by force. He's not like the kings of this world who come in with armies and swords and strength. Jesus comes with something quite different. He comes with a promise. He comes with a promise. Now, the promise in our lesson may have been hard to see, but pay attention closely in verse 9. I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Here's the promise. All of the things of this life which are going to fail, and I think that that's actually the reason why we hold on to them so tightly. Have you ever wondered why we hold on to things so tightly? It's because we know that they're going away. We know that they are transient. We know that kids are going to grow up and move on. We know that people, our friends and family, are going to die. We know that money cannot buy us happiness. It might be able to buy you a boat and a truck with a trailer to pull it. It might be able to buy you those things, but it cannot buy you anything past the grave. We know that, and so we hold on to these things desperately, even though we know that they are faithless even though we know that they are unrighteous, even though we know that they will fail in the end. But here's the promise. Jesus redeems even those things. That is, he takes stuff like money, and he turns it into something that is useful for eternal good. We've talked about this before, but this is what happens. When you spend your money in your home to create a godly house, When you spend your money in your home to take care of your family, the people that God has entrusted to your care, and when you teach them God's word. You make friends for yourself with unrighteous mammon when you give to the poor and you show them the kindness of Jesus. You make friends for yourself with unrighteous mammon when you give to the church and you support the preaching of the gospel. But it doesn't just stop with money. It's not just money that is temporal and fleeting. It's everything else. It's all of the things of this life. It is your life itself, your body, your flesh and bones. God takes you, who are frail and fleeting, who fade like the grass and wither like the flowers. He takes you and he turns you into his instruments of grace. So that everywhere you go, everywhere that you carry Jesus with you, everywhere that you speak his peace, you make Christians. His voice sounds out into the world through you, you who are going to go away, you who are going to be buried in the ground and no more, You are God's instruments of grace. He does it with everything in this world. This world is going away, and yet, God gives it to us. He gives it all to us, our time, our talents, our stuff, our very breath. He gives it to us to be redeemed, to be used for eternal good. That is an incredible promise. The fact that everything's going away can either lead you to hold on to it tightly or to throw up your arms in disgust and despair. But Jesus offers you another way, a promise. He says, live as if the things you do now matter eternally, because they do. Live as if the things you do now matter eternally, not just for you, but for all of the people around you. Live as if you actually possess the love of God in Christ Jesus. After all, Jesus died on the cross to save you from sin, death, and hell. The grave can hold no power over you any longer. Death, you cannot end my gladness. I am baptized into Christ. That whole story of things fading and going away and disappointing, that story is over. It's been proven untrue in Christ Jesus. On the cross, 
Even an instrument of torture and pain and injustice has been turned into your salvation. How much easier is it for God to take all of the little things of your life, all of the things that you're afraid of losing, all of the things that you're afraid of spending, all of the things that you're afraid of wasting, how much more can he take all of them and turn them into eternal good? So put them to good use. Devote yourself to the things of God. Put your trust in him. Put your trust in him, for he is faithful. He is the one who has promised and already delivered. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be like this unjust steward who finds himself in a pickle. Having abandoned his former job, he does not want to dig, and he's ashamed to beg, and so he has to commit fraud in order to make a way for himself. You don't have to do that. You can instead live a godly life now. Thanking God for all of his gifts, thanking him for everything that he's entrusted to you, thanking him for your stuff and your people and your time and your breath, thanking him for every last bit of it, devoting yourself to his word, to his goodness, his love, his sacraments, his gifts, and rejoice that in the end you will be received into eternal dwelling places because he has covered all of your sin, because he has made you a new creation, he has made you his own child. Thank God. Thank God that he has given us such love. To him alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.